Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Life Christian Church. My name is Christian Smith. I am our Executive Director of Pastoral Ministries here at TLCC, and it's so great to be with you. And I don't know if you heard earlier, but this is actually going to be uh, my last week preaching before we move to London. Um, So I expect laughs at all jokes, great applause, not for my points, but for just me as a person. Um, No, just kidding. Um, So we've been in a series lately called Legends, Adventures of Disciples. Um, and we're telling the story of disciples that we can look up to, potential role models in the faith who teach us something important about what it means to follow Christ, which is essentially what it means to be a disciple. We've been focusing on this theme for quite a while, um, and uh, I'm excited to be able to add to this conversation with a new disciple to focus on. And by the way, our lead pastor, Terry Smith, uh, is on his study intensive that he takes yearly to pray and study and prepare for the next part of the season. So as I always ask people, make sure you're praying for him, if you remember to, in this time, to be inspired and refreshed uh, um, and prepared with uh, the vision that he's going to lead uh, our team and our church on over this next season. So today I'm going to be focusing on someone named Soren Kierkegaard. Soren Kierkegaard. Yes, he's a Christian philosopher, and I'm sure you're all surprised by that, and I just can't stop being myself in doing that. Um, and maybe you're wondering why I'm talking about him. Who's heard of Kierkegaard? Anyone? Anyone? Ah, actually, a decent amount of people. Probably like, oh, Christian only reads philosophers, so that's only people he could talk about. This is true, in part. But the second part of it is that uh, my wife and I, if we're ever blessed to have a son, we're planning on naming him Soren, Soren, not Soren Kierkegaard. That'd be kind of weird. Soren, and this is me laying public claim to the name, everyone, okay? So if any of you steal the name, you know I have dibs on it, all right? I don't know, Amanda, I don't know if I was allowed to share that or not, but um, Kierkegaard was a, a very influential figure when I started studying philosophy and it inspired me uh, greatly. They actually recently just started publishing, he's written like a ridiculous amount, and he, and he died relatively young. I'm getting too far ahead in the story. But they just recently published like a 20-volume set of just journals and papers that he had laying around his room after he died. And they took it, um, and they translated it into English. And so they've, they've just come out with this set a few years ago. And so when Amanda and I were dating, she would buy one of the, the journals, they're like $150 books or something ridiculous, for, our, for each of our anniversaries. So you probably thought it was Amanda's beauty that, uh, what does Amanda look like? I don't know, but she bought me some really great books, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy. I'm going to read from it today, and I'm going to need to ask one of you for a monocle whenever I open it up, because it's, uh, it's pretty cool. But he's done a lot of, of really important work that has impacted our world, and he was a faithful follower of Christ, an imperfect one, as you're going to see. But I think it's important to look at imperfect people and to be able to grasp the good things that we can learn from from them, right? And I think what happens in our world right now in this kind of uh, hyper-focused way is if people have oddities or make mistakes, then we think that that person has to be completely put on the side. Now, of course, there can be negative role models in our world, but also we need to understand the flawed nature of potential role models that we might have. So for Kierkegaard, Super influential. People call him often the father of existentialism. The father of existentialism, which is uh, 
essentially a, a philosophy that's developed after his life that focuses really on human existence, us as individuals and persons, our beliefs, our feelings, our thoughts, how we act on those things. And it has so impacted our world today, whether we realize it or not. Um, you know, like Freud and Carl Jung and Nietzsche were all a part of this movement, if you're familiar with those names, uh, uh, important historical figures. And even ways that we talk today are influenced by the language that Kierkegaard was developing around existentialism 200 years ago. I don't know math. I know philosophy, not math. A little less than 200 years ago. And here's just like quick little quotes from him. And it would sound like Good news for us some Twitter post today. If we are here today. And you don't have this kind of language taking place before children him, or really. Pandemic fatigue like, for instance, or loneliness, discouragement, me. sickness, That's very fear, tweetable. or a difficult life can only marriage. Be you need to know strength life is not is a problem to be solved, but a reality to, to be experienced. There are two God's strength to One is, to is here to what help isn't you true. make the it through your to tough time. What is true. The strength the most common form is of found is not Jesus. being who you are. Right? These so are Paul ways isn't that calling we talk Timothy today, to get a rush um, of adrenaline and do it on his own. own. Existence, no, he's calling him to realize to just like the abstract power within concepts or Christ. It became very, very personal. It is the power that's how he's writing. that transforms. He also wrote this, very importantly. And every time a new spiritual leader arises in the Bible, we find a beckoning call to spiritual strength. Let me give you an example in the Old Testament. Joshua. Following I, the I've death read that of like 10 Moses. times, I still don't know what it means. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, okay. God claims the so, obvious. Who is this is I'm my command. Some different parts of his life. Be what? And be then strong. Pull out hopefully be very strong and courageous. Do not be afraid be or discouraged, for the that, Lord your God is with you with. wherever you go. There is nothing to be afraid of because the Lord thy God is with you wherever you go. I want you to know whatever you've been assigned by God to accomplish in life. Life has been ordered by Christ. In 1955, also in and so whatever difficulty, enough, whatever challenge, whatever Copenhagen, adversity, whatever fear that you're going through right now, if Christ has called you to that task, it will be accomplished. Why? And, um, because he's commanded it. He has ordered it in his divine his providence and sovereignty. Of angst, a sense of depression and anxiety that actually and so how could Timothy put himself in a position to experience more of God's strength and his weakness? How can we, we put ourselves in a position to experience more of God's strength when we are too weak to stand? Paul then provides Timothy with four analogies of being a disciple in order to really make the be strong calling practical. He tells Timothy was that a good servant, with this despair, a good disciple, this is like a teacher, that God had forsaken like a soldier, life. like an and athlete, and like a farmer. Um, Let's look at these four analogies. Number one, he says, Timothy, to be a good God disciple, because he had forsaken him. Like a and teacher, his father equip, did follow like a teacher. Christ, um, and he says extent, this in Second exactly, Timothy chapter two, verse two. And what you have heard from me in the, church, in the presence of many witnesses, he says, what entrust that was, that was to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul is saying that he then pass on what you know to, to people who are able then the, to the, pass the it on to others, like a relay race. Where the baton the goes from the first runner to the second runner to, to the third runners. runner and to the fourth runner. 
Imagine that. Make sure, Paul says, Being that it goes to reliable people each time. And so How do we do this? We need to invest our lives as disciples um, into other men and other women who will be able to teach. Well, father, Mr. What should we look for? We call him. Faithfulness. He, ended up, he says, entrust um, to what? Faithful men and women. This is the main qualification what Timothy was to look for. It's the same that we are to look for as disciples. Commit God's word to faithful men and women so that they will teach others also. It's nice and to have people fact, that are good at teaching, five of them did end up passing but away if there's no faithfulness the in a person's life, and being a good teacher is worthless in this context of despair. because they're not so, reliable again, being a major to theme, do the task that God has them to do. Really important that so Paul tells Timothy, of, find people you can depend upon and, and teach and it was that he was them keenly well. Aware of his brokenness. So and how do we invest in others? It's by being a disciple. Here's a quote from him. There's so much emphasis just, just today in the Christian world on making disciples, which is one single living a human command that we need to do. Healthy. So but are we being really a mankind, disciple first? Say that there is not one being a disciple means know the truth and model the truth. Know the truth and model the truth. And so when we equip, we equip the total man and to woman. An anxiety about we must know the truth, but we must also live the truth. Live the truth at home. Live the truth at work. Live the truth in your attitude. Live the truth in your actions as we deal with others and in, minister and in all things. The character of Christ so just as a is to be constantly right? None of us growing are healthy. more we have and little more things, in us. Aches, sicknesses that, that I want to give you an example of a young man that I discipled. When I was at my former church, I was a youth pastor, so he was in the youth ministry at like 13 years old. Your person, and of yourself, uh, of, of his mom are, came to me. She has two sons. She came to me. Both of them were in youth ministry. You and she time. said, um, you might not say, "You're having influence on my son." Or I just broke my and so I go, in your spirit. "Like, you know, what kind but of influence am I having on right? <laughs> so she goes, "I want to tell you." There Every morning we have like we have you know family prayer, and she said that um you know world. David he's and so he's not the one to first be like so hey mom I want to pray as, as Kierkegaard says but she said this this, this morning when I said who wants to pray can occur he, very quietly he was like I want to pray I want to pray we're nothing at all and so no she was like other oh, okay go ahead and pray he says any other loss but mom I want to pray like Pastor Ryan etc have you ever seen that man pray meaning we can so easily so she said he went Father God in the name of Jesus Thank you for your mercy and grace this morning. Of health, those are the things that are most easy to lose ourselves. Because when we look outside, I was humbled go, by that. You know, all I have is a job. But it taught me a lesson. Um, you know, I have nice clothes, or someone's always I just watching feel us. Good externally, like so a, a represent Christ well. I'm getting the pleasures in that all I that want. you do. All God is not asking so for perfection, but He's saying, what we can be consistent. So do is then lose ourselves. Be in consistent in your your walk with me. Of ourself and who we represent are. me well wherever you go. What we can often that do when people watch you, they they can see something that resembles God. Difficult stuff, kind of that they want to follow Him as well. These, these tinges of things that we experience that we don't like, and we come up with coping mechanisms. Different escapes. I'm glad to say that young man possibly, today, he's in his 20s, um, graduated from college, he's Netflix, actually a, a, the a worship leader in, in the local church. Under. So, are we Next entrusting the gospel My greatest issue to reliable is people who pass like, it on to on the others? Right of the screen, you are we sharing the like good news of Jesus Christ with our children, our grandchildren, our co workers, our classmates, our neighbors? 
it's like like three Paul, seconds. I need to, we should I like make sure the message of Christ doesn't end with our generation. And so let us lean in on his divine strength and power to do it. The second point that he says in the second analogy is to persevere like a soldier. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life or then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Paul knew that continued ministry of the gospel would mean continued personal suffering. Therefore, Paul implies graphic metaphors to encourage Timothy to persevere in the faith. He says share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul was certainly suffering in prison. So he invites Timothy to join him and compares his suffering to that of a soldier. The life of a soldier in ancient times had more than its share of suffering. In addition to the constant threat of opposing armies, soldiers often went days without food and they were away for years at a time from their families. And so Paul continues to elaborate on the perseverance of a soldier when in verse 4 he says that soldiers do not get entangled in civilian pursuits because his goal is to please his commanding officer. See, while on duty, soldiers have to have a single-minded focus. As disciples, we need to have single-minded focus. There's so many things in this world today that can get us distracted. That God is like Stay focused that says if we, we preoccupy our time so it makes us with feel outside that concerns no that, by saying that take us off really the mission don't. and because vision, an we put ourselves and our whole company in danger. Of us, a, a spiritual realm, likewise, Paul called Timothy that to that same single-minded focus you know, on his and ministry and, and on being a disciple. The nothing, he says, nothing don't be distracted the, the by the things of, of this fine. world. I respect someone who thinks. And there's a lot of good things the in this world. Of saying, no, Not all things are bad. Things. But don't well, be distracted with it that you give all things. your devotion and heart and to that no meaning, and not but I'm to Christ. If there is meaning. Um, Number okay, three, at least you're following he says, you're be disciplined like an athlete. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, he says, and athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. An athlete's life involves discipline. Why do people matter? Talent right? you guys is not hard to find, that, I think, hopefully. but it's um, not enough. That is, is if you want to compete, kind of, there are rules uh, uh, to be followed. Example if you don't follow the rules, you're suspended or disqualified. Of not and it's like that being a disciple as well. It involves the daily obedience the in the small that things up like any so that our lives might. line up. Now, with Instead what we're trying to rug, do. We have to do something else. What we're trying uh, to do. Super important Paul concept from is actually just is that giving and sharing joy, all of his life real joy to Timothy on the other side because he's suffering. an example. And we find that real example in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 26 and 27 Meaning because he says this when it comes to being an athlete. Within us, he says, so I run with purpose in every in step. The face and deal with them. I am not just shadow boxing, punching the air. Get through the I love that because Paul is actually saying, you know, I want to make a dent because you've for Christ. The medicine that the I want to have some impact for Christ. When I, when I leave, right? so they'll know that Christ thing, was here. We can look at the suffering. Right? And so we that, can that should be us as disciples. When, we, when we're gone, our communities, where we were at, people say, Christ was here. You made a dent So verse 27 says, I discipline my 
body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul sees himself as competing to win souls for Christ and to receive an eternal recognition for that effort. Such a crown is such of great value that will never be taken away from you. So he disciplines his body from any desire or lust that would disqualify him from receiving that prize in Christ. I want to give you a quote from Stephen Graves. He's the founder of Coaching by Cornerstone, Cast where he advises executives, business owners, and young entrepreneurs. He says this about discipline. Ultimately, discipline in any area is really just a series of choices. For athletes, it's about saying no to the burger and yes to the grilled salmon. No to a late night hour, yes to the early morning film session. Are you not For the rest of us, the choices may not be so cut and dry, but discipline is still about consistently making the small, right decisions that make up a life or career of right choices. We have all these scriptures that are telling us that we're not so important. He nails it. what can happen is sometimes every day we're making these right choices and they're being stacked on top of each other, which really shows the greatness of Christ in our lives. Kind of live in them right. and abide in them. The they fourth point, identity. he says, is um, this: illnesses that we have to be a disciple. We think and look at ourselves. You got to work hard. Well, that's trying to look it in the face, like but it's a not farmer. getting past it. You aren't Second getting Tim- to the other Second side Timothy of the chapter two, verse six and seven. He says, "You're sitting in the and hard working farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor." Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. And then you have, you know, Paul changes metaphors again. They aren't happy at all. It's Who gets the first harvest? Fake Christian syndrome sort of thing. Who gets the biggest harvest? The answer is the one who worked hard. Paul says the harvest comes to the hard-working farmer, to the one who puts in the effort. The lazy disciple who doesn't dedicate his or her life to loving Jesus, learning about Jesus, and serving Jesus will never see a harvest as a disciple. We don't go looking for suffering. It doesn't come to the lazy. It comes to no, the hard work. We are. Every day, Two-time Super Bowl winner Ray Lewis said this. The only thing that of, follows of, of hard work of more joy, is results. Of, and, other periods that are, that and you are, know what? I think he's right. But to always remember that because when you God, work for the Lord, is everything you, we do for the Lord, to, to he uses. Up from your Nothing's wasted. One more example on this point. And is, um, there's this really what cool we do for the Lord Japanese, is never in vain. Uh, art that I'm sure a lot of never. people have heard of. Called Sometimes Kitsugi. we may think it's in vain. It's small. Maybe people don't even recognize it. But I want you to know God sees it. They take broken Ceramics it's on his radar and such that's on his you know, agenda and, and he's empowering on, you to do on it. the ground or whatever it might so be. each of these pictures has a note them for us putting a note of self-denial like a, all the processes in it a but, teacher uh, um, spends his like or her life to produce other teachers kind of thing a soldier gives his life around it. to the duty to of battle. Something that shattered An athlete restricts his life like, well, for the sake of maximum effort. Ah, should I throw and the it farmer should I expends the his life the metaphor comes back. to that produce a crop. You brush it under the so in verse 7, Paul asks us to truly or refre- you can go reflect. To where your Ponder. Is stitched together Look at our lives. And you end Am up I a strong Christian? From the original thing that Timothy, he says, like. it's up but to you, you like something and the Lord now. Really, really beautiful once and this young servant, suffering. his once spiritual son who is struggling and overwhelmed, us, he says, take these four pictures 
and keep going. We all have those broken parts. He's telling us that Let's today as well. The process of Take these four pictures God and keep going. Give away okay. your life and pass Here the baton. Grows up really Don't break the rules. And, Don't be entangled um, with this world. He ends up kind of being no, his and father ends up getting hard. A, a job from Kierkegaard, Mr. Kierkegaard. A final a word. Uncle. And, if anything uh, is going to be said about you, super, super wealthy from as we look at some of the life lessons of Timothy, living in if anything is going to be said about you, and Kierkegaard is let it be what guy, Paul says about Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 21. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 21. Look what Paul says about Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. It tells he us that Timothy was an encourager. Really kind of that but he, he says in verse 20, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned kind of for your welfare. For, that he was for they all seek their own interests, that he was not those father, of Jesus Christ. Still lingers on. Paul searched his, among his, his acquaintances for someone to go to Philippi and, um, for a spiritual checkup on them. He must have asked a number of them to do this. Evidently, all of them turned him down, not because they couldn't do um, it, but they turned him down because he starts they were interested solely in themselves and their own interests and their um, own concerns. They all had perfect good excuses like because none of them undertook the journey to go to Philippi. That it was his but the only one drove him to, have to whom Christ's business was his business like was Timothy. Was like a, as and I Paul says, I have no one like him. You can imagine what an encouragement he must have been to the apostle's heart as he's longing to send someone to the Philippians to help them with their problems and everyone turns to him and they say, no, Paul, can't do it. No, Paul, can't do it. Him, no, can't do it. What I really Sorry. lack is to be clear in my mind calls on what Timothy. I am to do, to see what and God Timothy, really wishes me to do, to because find he's selfless. the idea for which Says, Paul, I can live and die. I'm ready to go. To find the idea for which Anytime, I can live any place, and die. Anytime, anywhere, and he saw so many for conflicting Jesus. interests in the world that the world was This was the selflessness so of this man. He was good at so much stuff, too. And Paul so says, there's no one like him. He could have been a poet, and he basically was. His interests was are writings. for God. And he had to find the His one interest thing, is also though, for the people of God. Him. He's popular. Don't we need leaders like that but today in the church of Jesus Christ? Not so caught up with ourselves, but caught up with what God wants us to do. Then when I got older, and so there's a lessons that we learned from Timothy here. Number one is this: be faithful in a supporting role, I saw that the and of God life will was to get promote a you. That the goal of life was to be a high court Timothy judge, was and just the bright joy of love was to marry a ministry a partner, girl. and the blessing of friendship was to in his help second each missionary other, journey to help each other out of a tight financial Along with spot. Silas, that wisdom was the major. What was and what happens said that he's so faithful in that supporting role? That courage was to risk that God promotes him. That makes him a bishop and overseer welcome after a meal at the church the at Ephesus. God was to go to communion and then that's what I saw. Paul tells him, because I'm incarcerated, go do Heavy. a spiritual check on the church at Philippi. How They're looking forward to like seeing you and go and encourage today, them as well. American dream kind of stuff, white picket fence. Wherever you are right now in your life, old, have two children, you may be in a supportive role. And you, like, you let me get X Good. amount of dollars a year. And you set up because God basic, uses us in the supportive how, role really to learn the lessons when he's about it. to promote I love, you. I, I love the, You'll the, know the, what to do when you step into the, your destiny. Why? Because you learned the lessons in the supportive role. So important. Number two, we must be godly in order to be qualified and effective in teaching 
teaching godliness to others. That's what Paul was talking about. And therefore I laugh. As we pass down this legacy of godliness, he then set we out first have to be it. Life we have to walk in it. Again, we have to model it. Worth dying for. And we see this interesting, difficult, weird Timothy story that takes place over the was course just of that example. Life. He was an there encourager. Was this, this young woman he was strong Regina in faith. Olson, he was trusted. And, they say Regina and he Olson. set an example of integrity um, to the believers that he, he discipled. Proposing to her, she accepts his proposal. The final point we learned from the lesson in Timothy's life is this. Many start well. She was but a well few girl, persevere very, very bright, to a victorious smart. finish. And he ends up, he, he was like, we all know someone who started out and they were on fire for Christ. They might have been sitting next to you two years ago. Like last They're not minute, here anymore. Which is a complete social faux pas for, what happened? for one of them or for both. The flame went out. And their they got entangled. And no one they stopped quite serving. Out what was going on. They got discouraged. Into, I don't know what it may be. And like but maybe they're not so serving today. He was going crazy so that she Let us continue to encourage so each other. Very, as Paul encouraged and Timothy, and then that we finish it, uh, strong for Christ. God can we live that. well for Jesus. What he should or shouldn't have done. But then he tried to and that one day we will have the prize her in the that will never be tarnished. It's eternal. He was going crazy. And Can so I offer a prayer for us today? Him throughout his whole life. But, but Father, what, what, what give us show? the what, what is this single-minded focus. This extreme sense of him wanting to pursue something. We're about a lot of things, but our work and is to like multiply the Olson was so that so we want to pay the cost as we're strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus who is going to be staying up all the grace that writing, gives us strength candles on in his house each and every day and so I pray like, that you would help us to do guy. this help He'd us here like, at the life Christian like, church Lord frenetically help each and every one of us to do it in our communities I pray that at the end of our lives there will be some disciples who are making disciples because we made it our focus to be a disciple or didn't or thought Disciple that she others. would not be able to do that with him. That one, I pray this would have a ripple effect and being able to go throughout that generations but to also come. That he could not fill the needs that I pray had. this all in Jesus' and name. As he's thinking, Amen. what can I live or die for? He saw something that was keeping him from the train or the destiny that he was intended to go towards. And he wanted to be a disciple that was sacrificing his entire life, was dying for if he had to. Now, again, difficult story. How much is there to learn? I don't know exactly, but you have to understand the intensity of heart with which he was going about his life to try and figure out how he could build the kingdom of God in the short amount of time that he had in this world. And in his context, what's going on here that's driving this intensity is that the, the church, the Danish state church at that time, was watering down the gospel of Jesus. It was going through a, a process academically of de demythologization or naturalizing scripture. They were taking the, 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 uh, the supernatural stuff out of it, and they were assuming that there were natural explanations or causes. They were taking out the stuff that the spirit does or the crazy, the crazy asks of scripture of us that we read and we kind of like, you know, like, oh, like shudder at it sometimes. Well, in Copenhagen and in the surrounding area, if you were born in Copenhagen, you were a Christian. Right, that, was the, that was the state religion. And so what the church started to do is to water down the gospel so that they could accommodate the comfort of everyone. 
And Kierkegaard became furious with this because he understood the intensity of the calling of God in the world and everything was getting watered down. And he's like, what are you guys doing? Like we're talking about a Messiah who died for us to make the world right. And we're supposed to take on our cross and live with him and give everything for the kingdom. The first followers of Jesus were martyrs. What can we live or die for? Is this new gospel being presented in the church worth dying for? No. If Christianity is like, uh, hey, here's how to feel better about anxiety. If you just stop there, right? That's, is that a system worth dying for? No, I can go buy some other self-help book down the street. I don't need the Bible for that. But when we make scripture and Christianity, when we conform it to our comforts, then it's not something worth dying for. Am I making sense? So I think this is happening in our world in a lot of different ways. We're conforming a lot of the Christian faith, the teachings of Jesus. We're naturalizing it. We're making it feel better to us. We're omitting the parts that maybe challenge our lifestyle or, or where we are, where we're working, or what kind of relationships we're in, or what, all these different kinds of things, and we're naturalizing it. We're demythologizing it. We're taking away the full potency of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and therefore... When we walk into church on Sunday and someone like me is standing here on stage saying things like this, it's like, oh yeah, that was nice. And it's like, no, it's not nice. It's important. It's worth dying for. And I think we have to come to points in our lives, maybe these Kierkegaardian kind of moments where we're, we're sitting there and we're going, this thing's worth dying for. That's what the scriptures say in them. And right now, am I inspired enough to die for this thing? Am I giving my whole life to this? Am I spending my days with, with, with an intensity, a fervor? Now, there's health and all that kind of stuff and the balance and Sabbath thing and all, and all of those things. So we don't need to be like Kierkegaard riding all night and dying young probably just because he overworked himself. But we have to have an internal clock kind of. You know, it's like the shot clock in basketball that's like ticking down. It has to be a little bit of a clock that gets you like, yeah, you can dribble up the floor slow a little bit here or there. I do have a little bit of handles, by the way, in basketball if you were wondering. Used to be able to dunk, but I just figured I'd throw that in there my last time that I'm preaching here. There has to be a little bit of an internal shot clock, you know, that, 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 that's, that we're tracking with that's going, this all, like the most important thing that we have is what God is calling us to do in our lives in the kingdom and how we're loving people hard and how we're challenging the, the norms of the world that don't align with scripture and we're, we're inspiring people and we're bringing more people into the kingdom, we're building the kingdom. That's the most important thing. How do we go crazy for that? What kinds of things are keeping you? What kinds of ideas maybe that feel a little bit that are watering down what you believe in your faith and how you're living? I love some of the scriptures that talk about conformity in, uh, in the, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And again, I'm just going to kind of read through them quickly. And this is, you know, you have the Jewish people here in the Old Testament that are like a theocracy, like a, a nation led by God. And one of the greatest fears is them conforming to the nations around them um, in what was a pretty barbaric time and era in, in, in human history. And in Exodus 23, we see, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. In 2 Kings, they rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. And you will know that I am the Lord, we see in Ezekiel, for you have not followed my decrees or kept my laws, but have conformed to the standards of the nations around you. 
right? There's this leaking over, the watering down. It's like you're letting the water pour in and it's diluting that concentrated fervor that we have because it's become something else. And then in Ephesians, we see, this isn't just like weird Old Testament text. In Ephesians, we see uh, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He was talking about the people in their context who were not living in the way that we were called to live, that, that intensity of thing. So I think that, again, there, there might be some things in, in Scripture that we have questions about, like real questions about. Like, okay, well, the church is saying this, or traditionally the church has said this, and now I'm like, uh, I don't want to believe that part. You know, let's kind of like, you know, let's hit delete on that part of Scripture. Or here's this challenging part of Scripture. Let's delete that part of Scripture. Again, with the watering down, we lose the potency. There, we should be asking questions, but to give our life to it, we have to remember that we're still always going to have questions when we're trying to give our life to it. That's one of the hard parts. We're never going to have absolute confidence that we can dive in and that this thing is worth dying for. We're never going to have absolute confidence of that. We have absolute confidence about almost nothing in this world. But we have to have enough of a capacity to see what God is doing in this world and to do which is the most famous thing ever coined by Kierkegaard, is to take a leap of faith. Maybe we think that's a verse in scripture, but actually it's a verse of Kierkegaard. Um, An idea that he developed that ended up impacting the rest of Christianity. You see, again, that the church in his time, they were living and existing with, with this with this kind of meager expression of Christianity and people were asking all these different questions and, and, and and arguing over abstract concepts. And I was going to read from this, but I probably don't have time. So I really just got to bring it up and show it off. So I'm happy about that. Um, What we had to do in all of those questions that we might have, where there might be gaps in the story that we don't know if we want to die for, is to simply take a leap of faith. Yeah, there's a great scripture in Hebrews, if you guys can throw that up. Great scripture in Hebrews on faith, the most famous one. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Oftentimes, we think that when we talk about faith, it's completely blind, right? It's believing something even though you have no evidence for it. That's how the world defines faith. That's not the biblical faith at all in terms of if you go back to the first century and the type of language that they used, how they use the word faith. I won't go into that. But the best way to understand faith is we have confidence and assurance in what we do not see because of what we have seen. We experience God in our lives in some kind of powerful way. We experience something maybe miraculous. We experience the inner witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We experience maybe evidence and facts. We experience philosophy that's compelling, that shows us that there's like, there has to be something that created the world. Or whatever it might be that, that you see, and it's, there are things that you see. I want to emphasize that. You can see things that give you confidence in God. He's not calling you to be blind in any sort of way. In fact, he's given you a ridiculous amount of evidence of who he is and his power as the creator of the universe. And he wants to give you personal evidence in your life that you experience as well. But you're always going to have questions, right? Don't let those questions keep you back from taking the leap, though. At some point, you have to make a decision to say, all right, look, I know enough, and I'm just going to jump and trust that God is going to carry me on. So 
So today, overall, what I'd love to encourage us just to think about, to kind of recap real quickly, is to be honest with yourself. What are those points of maybe despair or lacking? Look them in the face. God wants to bring you through them. He doesn't want to just, he doesn't, he doesn't just get rid of it. We have to work through it. That's where we experience real joy. Also, what areas of your faith might be watered down right now? Do you feel like you have an idea that you can just live or die for that thing that God is calling you to? And if something is keeping you back, look at it in the face, look at the little sickness in the face, right? And just go, you know what? I have to take a leap. I have to go. God, you're calling me to something more. And I don't know how to answer these questions I might have, but I see that you have said it. I see your scripture saying it. I see that the testimony of the church is saying it. Let me take a jump into the plan that you have for our world, how you're going to build the kingdom of God in our world. Just take a leap. And I trust that God is going to catch you and that the people around you, the church, the other disciples, the other legends of the faith around you want to be with you in that journey and bring you to a new future, a new phase of joy, real joy, that sometimes is on the other side of suffering. But I promise you, God has it for you if you take that leap. Thank you, guys.